welcome to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church in Easley, South Carolina. Our goal is to exalt the Savior, evangelize the sinner, and encourage the saint through faithful exposition of God's Word. If you got your Bibles, I want to invite you to find the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter one, Nehemiah chapter one. We began a series last week. This will be our second message as we walk through the book of Nehemiah, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And we have entitled our series Against All Odds. It seemed that everything was stacked up against Nehemiah. And Nehemiah had a tremendous task in front of him to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls that had been torn down, rebuild the gates that had been burned with fire. And as Nehemiah took an inventory of what all needed to be done, the task became overwhelming to him. And what we're going to discover is as he realized this task was going to be very overwhelming, the first thing he did was fall to his knees in prayer. He's received a report of the condition of the people. You'll remember last week we talked about how Nehemiah began to have a conversation with his brothers and they brought him a report. And the report was not good. The report was that the people of God had relegated God to a place of insignificance in their life. So let me give you a a quick review. For 70 years, the people of God lived in exile, in captivity, if you will, in Babylon. After that 70-year exile in Babylon, they were allowed to go back to Jerusalem and begin rebuilding the temple. Under Zerubbabel's leadership, they rebuilt the temple. And then Ezra came along and they enjoyed restoration and revival. But it wasn't very long until they found themselves right back in the same rut that they found themselves in time after time after time again and having relegated the Lord to some place of insignificance in their life. And Nehemiah began to hear about the people and the place there in Jerusalem. He heard that things were not good that the walls were still broken down and the gates had been burned with fire. The walls being broken down left the people absolutely defenseless. Robbers would come from the hills and they could come upon the people of God unexpectedly and carry off their possessions. They were powerless to defend themselves because they did not have walls. And because of those walls being in heaps of rubble, they began to lose status in the eyes of other nations. Worse than that, they even began to lose some of their own self-respect. And the people of God that were living in Jerusalem without a wall and without gates felt humiliated because they would have known the words of Isaiah the prophet. When he talked about the walls and the gates of Jerusalem, and in Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 18, Isaiah said this, violence shall no more be heard in thy land, wasting nor destruction within thy borders, but thou shalt carry thy walls of salvation. Did you catch that? Inside Jerusalem, the walls of salvation and thy gates praise. 
See, these walls were so significant. These gates were so significant and it spoke to not only the physical condition of Jerusalem at that time, but the spiritual condition of Jerusalem at that time. And he, Nehemiah, received a pitiful report about what was going on there in Jerusalem. That's in the first three verses. We see the report, but then we see the response. How is Nehemiah now going to respond to what he has heard? He's just received some pretty discouraging news. He's just received some difficult news. He's come face to face now with a situation too big for him to handle on his own. See, he's still living over in Babylon and he likely felt completely powerless to be able to help the people of God. So Nehemiah does what you and I can do when we find ourselves in a place of brokenness, when we find ourselves in a place of being burdened, when we find ourselves having received some difficult news, when we find ourselves having received some discouraging news, Nehemiah does exactly what you and I can do. He falls to his knees and he begins to pray. And this morning, I want us to consider, and I want to preach on this subject, let's rebuild the wall of prayer. Rebuilding the wall of prayer. Now, by way of introduction, I'll say this. Every time I preach on prayer inside of a Baptist church, it typically stays fairly quiet. Because the truth is, is if we all take an honest inventory of our prayer lives, we would likely, every single one of us, have to admit there is significant room for improvement. But personal, powerful, persistent prayer should be a spiritual discipline of a follower of Jesus Christ. And so today, I want us to consider rebuilding the wall of prayer. Let's stand together and read, beginning in Nehemiah chapter 1. I'll begin reading in verse 4. If you're there, say amen. amen. And it came to pass when I heard these words. You know what he'd heard. We just covered it. The people are in great affliction. They're in great reproach. The walls are still broken down. The gates are still burned with fire. He says, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept. Mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee. Here's his prayer. I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night. For the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. We've dealt very corruptly against thee. We've not kept the commandments or the statutes or the judgments which you commanded thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commanded thy servant Moses, saying, if you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you return unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet I will gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. 
O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name. And prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer, rebuilding the wall of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now you would help us to receive that which you would say to us through your servant this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, Nehemiah is fully aware. He's just gotten the report that the people are in great reproach. They're in great affliction. And this task of him helping the people of God seems likely overwhelming to him, and so he began to pray. Now, if you take a simple internet search and you go to Google, and you Google books on prayer, there will be thousands and thousands and thousands of books on prayer. But I would suggest to all of us here this morning that another book on prayer is not what we need. You got a book right here that teaches you how to pray. And instead of reading about how to pray, you ought to just start praying. Well, that wasn't too, that wasn't too swift. I said, instead of reading another book about praying, you ought to just start praying. You say, well, preacher, I don't know what to say. Well, what do you say to your husband or your wife? I mean, do you talk to them? Well, I hope you do. You just share your heart with people that you love. The Lord loves you. You love him. Just share your heart with him. But Nehemiah is going to give us a pattern of prayer. We can learn from it this morning. Abraham Lincoln said this. I've been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom as that of those about me seemed insufficient for the day. Adrian Rogers, the great preacher at Bellevue Baptist in Memphis said this. He was asked if you could do ministry all over again, Dr. Rogers, what would you do differently? And they said, without hesitation, Adrian Rogers said this, I would have prayed more. It's a spiritual discipline that must be exercised in the life of a believer if we are going to truly experience the presence, protection, and the provisions of God. We, like Nehemiah, have heard the reports and the condition of our land, and it should cause us to be burdened, and it should cause us to be broken over what it is that we see just this week. It doesn't take, listen, when you begin to try to, as a preacher, when you begin to try to expound on the sinfulness of society and the chaos of our culture, it doesn't take very long, man. You can preach for a long time about that. All you got to do is open up a news app and just read. And you can see the sinfulness of our society. Just this week, I watched as there were shouts of happiness and tears of joy as legislation passed in Nebraska allowing a child to have his or her life taken inside the womb at any point. The report says this, three in five Americans say that religious beliefs are a matter of personal opinion and not objective truth. Did you get that? 
Religious beliefs are a matter of personal opinion and not objective truth. I got news for you. That book you hold in your hand is absolutely true. It is, it is absolutely sufficient for whatever it is you face, and it is a fact, and it is the Word of God, and it is truth. Weekly, we seem to hear more about perversion being paraded in front of our kids across this country. School curriculums that once included reading, writing, and arithmetic have now been replaced with gender ideology. And so the report is not good. And we see the plight of people. We see the plight of our place. And we should do exactly what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah began first by building a wall of prayer. And he falls to his knees. And you got to get this. And, and, and this wasn't popular in the first service. It might not be popular in this one, but don't make it any less true. You got to get this. Nehemiah fell to his knees and began to pray. But when he got up, he picked up a trowel and got to work. The first thing we can do is get on our knees and beg God to give us a burden, beg God to move in a greater way than he's ever moved before in our community, in our culture, in our country. We need to fall to our knees and beg God because we see the condition of the culture. But then when we get up off our knees, instead of griping about the school board, we need some born again, sold out believers to put their names on the ballot. Amen. Now, I know, preacher, you're getting political. You're getting political. Get over it. <laughs> I said that in love. But why are we going to complain about it and some born-again believers not get involved? I mean, we got one of our own here at Mount Pisgah. She's a state legislator down there, man. They, you talk about giving somebody a hard time. They love giving her a hard time. She stands for truth, man. I appreciate that. But instead of standing around cursing the darkness, let's go turn on the light. Amen. But we must first fall to our knees. Before we're truly going to make a difference in the culture and have the power to stand with what will come against you if you do, you better have fallen on your knees and gotten a word from God. Nehemiah. Man, there's such a, there's such a great, so much great truth in this I told Pastor Hayden, I wrote a couple of different outlines for this because it's, this prayer is so good. It was a personal prayer. Just Nehemiah, him and God got alone with one another. I tell you, that's a good place to start. Just you and him get alone one with another. It was, a, it was a passionate prayer over and over and over, man. He says, I beseech you, Lord. I'm begging you, Lord, to, to, to open your ears to my prayer and, and, and open your eyes and see the plight of the people. I mean, it's a passionate prayer. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit more, but it was a persistent prayer. What you'll find out is between chapter one and chapter two, Nehemiah spends four months praying. In verse six of chapter one, it says he prayed day and night. So before he ever took on the task and picked up a trial and began to build the wall, he spent four months in prayer. You know how long it took him to build the wall? I mean, it's been laying in rubbles for almost 100 years, but when they got started, 52 days. Nehemiah spent longer praying about it 
than he did building on it. Persistent prayer. And it was a productive prayer. I mean, all, that, that outline right there is for free. Let's walk through the prayer of Nehemiah today for just a few moments. You see what we might can learn about a man that finds himself on his knees broken and burdened for his people. Number one, as he prayed this prayer, my friend Jack Andrews wrote a commentary that talks about these four principles that we can learn from Nehemiah's prayer. Number one, he said this, we should recognize God's person. So when we begin to pray, the first thing that we should do is recognize God's person. He begins this prayer with adoration. He begins this prayer with worship. He says, I beseech you, verse five, O Lord. Now, if you've got your Bible in front of you, that word Lord is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh, the covenant name of God with Israel. He says, Lord, you, 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 are, you are superior. You are sovereign, Lord. I am in awe of your majesty. He is focused on the greatness of the one that he is approaching because the, the greater God becomes to us, the smaller our problems become. Remember when Jesus taught his disciples to pray? They, they began with our Father who art in heaven. What? Hallowed be thy name. I'm gonna say this about Nehemiah's prayer. Man, it got, it got, it got on. He began to praise and he began to think about how in all he was of the power of God and the, and the supremacy of God and the sovereignty of God. And he just began to see how big God was and how little he was. And he said, Lord, I just want to say, I love you. You are an awesome God. I stand in awe of you today. And if I, if I, if I asked you to take an inventory of your prayer, does your prayer start out with some, with some fired up worship and some adoration for the one up among who we bow down before? Do we, do we begin our prayer with some kind of fervency about adoration to the Lord Jesus Christ? Or does it sound sometimes like my do? Lord, good morning. I want my prayer life to have a little more fervency. And I want to rebuild the wall of prayer in my own life. Just like every one of us should have a desire to rebuild that wall of prayer. And it begins with understanding that we have an awesome God that is not weak. He is not feeble. He's not broken. He's not woke. He's a God that leaves us in all. Nehemiah recognizes the God of the universe. And he begins to worship in the beginning of his prayer. He recognized God's person. Secondly, he requests God's pardon. Again, just as God taught the disciples to pray, forgive us our trespasses, Nehemiah begins to confess the sins of the people and he asks God for, for pardon and he acknowledges the sinfulness of the people in verse seven. When he says, we've dealt very corruptly against thee. One translation says it this way, Lord, we've treated you like dirt. You see, where is Nehemiah at this time? He's over in Babylon. And he's in Babylon, why? Because of the sins of his fathers and his father's fathers. And when he begins to pray, he identifies himself with those that have transgressed the commands of God. 
And the truth is he's been impacted by the sins of others. But he identifies himself with all of his people by saying, both I and my fathers have sinned. Now you gotta get this. Often we are asked to prayer a prayer of forgiveness and lament and repent for sin we have not committed. Personal sin requires personal repentance. Corporate sin requires corporate repentance. Let me say it this way. If I was the president of the United States and I'm not running, <laughs> I would likely lead our nation to pray a prayer of repentance for the evil of abortion. But we're, everybody's not guilty of that particular thing, but we should all come together on our knees and pray and seek God's forgiveness. Does that make sense? And that's what Nehemiah's doing. He's saying, look, we're all in this thing together. Had none of us arrived, our sin might just be different. That never gets a lot of amens. You see, we, 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 we love these certain sins, right? And maybe we'll shout about them, but man, what about our own sin? Because the truth is we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we're all in this together. Nehemiah says, we're all in this together. I've sinned and we've all sinned and we're confessing this. And ultimately what was happening is the people of God had been reaping what they were sowing. Nehemiah recognized God's person. He requested God's pardon. He says, I'm confessing the sins. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thirdly, he remembered God's promises. Remember God's promises. Nehemiah begins to reflect upon the promises of God. And he's ultimately praying the scriptures. I would say to you, if you struggle in your prayer life, just, just find some promises God has made to you and read them out loud to him. Just, just, just talk to him and, and read his word out loud. Because Nehemiah begins to pray the scriptures. There's a couple of things that we see. Number one, in these promises, he promised to scatter them. Verse eight. In the last part of verse eight, it says, if you transgress, I will scatter you abroad the nations. Leviticus 26 tells us this. The Lord said to the people that if you will not hearken unto me, but walk contrary unto me, then I will walk contrary unto you also in fury. Can you imagine? And I, even I will chastise you seven times for your sins. And then in verse 33, God makes this statement to them. And I'll scatter you among the heathen. And I'll draw out a sword after you and your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. Is that not exactly what has happened? God said to the people of Israel, he said, if you don't obey my commandments, if you don't live by my statutes, I'm gonna scatter you abroad and I'm gonna bring the nation to its knees. The Assyrians had taken out the Northern Kingdom. <laughs> the Babylonians had taken out the Southern Kingdom. And where were they? Scattered abroad and their city lay in ruin. God's a God of his promises. 
This is a conditional statement. If you do this, then I will do this. God said, if you transgress, I am going to judge you. And that's exactly what he did. They sowed to the wind and they are reaping a whirlwind. And it was time for them to come clean before God. He promised to scatter them, but then he promised to gather them. See, the opposite is true as well. In verse nine, he says, but if you'll turn to me, keep my commandments and do them. The last part says, I'll gather them from this. I'll, I'll gather you back together. If you transgress, I'm going to scatter you. If you'll turn, I'll gather you. That word turning sounds a whole lot to me like repentance. Some of us have allowed ourselves to go a little farther away from the Lord than what we should have ever gotten. And today is a time to pray a prayer of confession and repentance and just return unto the Lord. You wonder why your life is in a mess? Take a look at how you've treated the Lord. Take a look at how you have sown and what you are reaping. Because God will not be mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he reap. Many of us likely need to just turn back to the Lord. You recognize God's person. Recognize God's pardon. Remember God's promises. And then finally, rely on God's power. Look at verse 10. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. First of all, Nehemiah was not alone in his prayers. There were other godly servants who were also petitioning the God of heaven for this intervention. Nehemiah is going to play a prominent role, but there were others who were not in the spotlight who were just as essential to the success of this wall being built. And they were on their knees before God in prayer. There are going to be days in the days to come that as we move forward with the project that God has for us, every single one of us ought to find a place on bended knee to ask God to give us vision, clarity, and a burden for the lost like we have never had before. But that building won't be built and the wall of prayer inside of your own life won't be rebuilt under your own power. This building will not be built under our own power. It will happen only by the power of the almighty God. And Nehemiah understands that, that it's the power of God that set them free from the bondage that they found themselves in there in Egypt. It was the power of God that brought them across the Red Sea on dry ground. It was the power of God that fed them manna while they were there in the desert. It was the power of God that brought them victoriously across the Jordan River. It was the power of God that brought them into the land of milk and honey. It was the power of God that won the battle of Jericho. It'll be the power of God and only the power of God that will rebuild the wall of prayer inside of our lives. It won't be human effort, but it will be the strong hand of the Almighty. So Nehemiah, maybe his prayer sounded something like this. If we prayed this prayer today, maybe we'd say, God, you are awesome. You are a good, good father. 
Lord, you are faithful. Lord, you are trustworthy. Lord, you've been so, so good to me. But Lord, I've transgressed your commands. And Lord, my life sometimes doesn't reflect what it is I say I believe. And so God, I confess to you today and ask you to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Lord, I see the sinfulness that is all around us, God, and I pray you'd give us a greater burden than ever before to do the work that only you can do, Lord, by going and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. And Lord, in all honesty, we've treated you like a spare tire. Lord, we've treated you like a celestial bellhop, Lord, where we've only called out to you when we needed you. So God, I pray you'd forgive us for that. And Lord, there's some things that need to be done. Lord, there's some things that need to be rebuilt in my own life. Lord, there's some things that need to be rebuilt in the lives of others. And Lord, those things will never be accomplished outside of your power and outside of your strength. So God, I pray you'd incline your ears unto our prayers. I pray, God, that we would be faithful to you as you have been faithful to us. So Lord, we rely on your power to do what it is that only you can do. At the end of chapter one, Nehemiah says this, for I was the king's cupbearer. And we touched on this last week. Who am I? What am I gonna do? God's got him in this position for such a time as this. He has you in the position he has you for such a time as this. And he has us in the position that he has us for such a time as this. But before any real work could get done, Nehemiah dropped to his knees and began to pray. I'm gonna ask you right there in your seat, if you would just bow your head, close your eyes for just a moment. I wanna just talk as openly and honest with you as I possibly can. Right there where you sit, I want you to take an honest inventory of your prayer life. Not the person beside you, in front of you, behind you, but an honest inventory of your prayer life. Do you have a personal prayer life? Is it powerful? Is it persistent? I truly believe the reason that we have not had the impact on our culture like we sometimes desire to as we've left this part out. It could be that a whole bunch of us this morning need to fall on an altar and say, Lord, I'm confessing to you that my prayer life just has not been what it should have been. And Lord, going forward, I'm gonna yield unto you and prayer is going to be a spiritual discipline that is serious in my walk with you. Secondly, could be some folks need to find a spot in an altar this morning and pray for all of us corporately. The Lord corporately 
as we take on this project, may we be people of prayer, seeking your guidance, seeking your power and your strength as we move forward. And then thirdly, it could be as you sit here and hear about prayer, you're, you're wondering about this whole thing called Christianity. And God's begun to deal with you about your lost condition. You don't know that heaven is your final home. And when you check out of here, you don't know where you'll be forever. We had a young man come forward in the first service, said, Pastor, I'm lost. I need to be saved. Maybe that's you in this service. If you don't know heaven is your final home, you come forward, put your hand in mine, and just make that statement, Pastor, I need to be saved. We would love an opportunity to walk through the Word of God with you and help you understand what salvation really is. Child of God, this message today is for you. Let's rebuild the wall of prayer. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. If you'd like additional information, please visit mtpisgah.cc.